0: In Matthew chapter 9, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to open there with me today. Reese, are you here somewhere? Reese Johnson? There you are, man. Praying for you, brother. I'm glad you're here and praying that you will get well very quickly. Supernatural recovery, praying healing for Reese. Would you stand, please, as we read God's word together? My objective is to unleash the living, eternal, powerful word of God. Not the word of John, not the word of Grant, the word of God. It'd be much easier to preach the word of John, to be honest with you. It's not that much accountability. It'd be much easier to preach the word of Grant. It's not that much accountability. But when it comes to the word of God, my heart trembles. As we open the Word of God, I hope you'll open your hearts and minds. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, plural, I want you to underline their, found that very intriguing. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, singular, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming, knowing their thoughts. I want you to underline that one too. <laughs> knowing their faults, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They were awestruck. And they praised God who had given such authority to man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you and pray that your Holy Spirit would empower your Holy Word and drive it into every life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, and this section of the sermon series is entitled Kingdom Power. Kingdom Power, the power of the kingdom of heaven. And the theme has been authority. The authority that God gave Jesus to heal diseases to demand absolute and complete obedience, the authority to command nature, the authority over demons and the forces of hell. And today, it builds the crescendo, the biblical crescendo. Today, we come to the ultimate authority to forgive sins. Now, right out of the gate, many of us think that it's more impressive to physically heal. That's what Jesus said. Which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and take your mat? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I could line every one of you up here, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and there's no really tangible evidence that something has actually occurred. So many of us, like the people in Jesus's day, we miss the real miracle of regeneration. I once was dead, but now I live. We miss the real miracle of justification that Jesus took our place and consumed the wrath of God on our behalf so that we may live forever with him in heaven. See, we all live forever forever. We're created eternal. It's not a question of eternal life. It's a question of eternal destination. In this passage, Jesus is diagnosing humanity's greatest need. The great physician calls every one of us into his office today and diagnoses our ultimate need. Now, we all have significant struggle struggles on the surface of our life. And so we want to go and lay on the couch of the king and we want to share our heart. And there are times for that. Well, Jesus, I'm struggling with this physical illness. Jesus, I'm struggling struggling with this mental illness. Jesus, I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my career. But Jesus wants to pull back the curtain on our struggles and see our ultimate need. He diagnoses humanity's greatest need. Jesus uses a physical healing as an illustration of a deeper miracle, spiritual healing. It has been said that forgiveness is man's deepest need and God's highest achievement. We are often consumed, and I use that word intentionally, and I used we intentionally. We are often consumed with treating the symptoms rather than dealing with a disease. And so we're on the surface of our lives and we're stomping out the fires and we're so exhausted from treating the symptoms that we miss the disease. And so we're often guilty of putting a band-aid on terminal cancer. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter. The ultimate need isn't physical, regardless of how great. The ultimate need is spiritual, because regardless of our physical circumstances, if there were physical healing and wholeness, and we've already talked about the possibility of that happening, every physical miracle is temporary. So Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, but he had another funeral. At some point, he died. The spiritual is forever. You see, there are severe symptoms of sin in our society. When Jesus is diagnosing our ultimate need as spiritual, he's diving below the surface of, yes, our lives, but also of humanity. The severe symptoms of sinfulness in our society. We have hatred. Racism and systematic injustice. Violence. We have slavery, present tense. There are approximately 19 million people today suffering under some form of slavery. And it's happening in our city through the sex traffic, through the heartbreaking sex trafficking world. We have wars. We are constantly evolving and advancing in our ability to create new ways to destroy ourselves in the name of protecting ourselves. We have corruption and disease, and death is the final stage of the disease of sin. For the wages of sin is death. When I go to a funeral, when I preach a funeral, I do, and I see a person in a casket. I do not see God. I see His enemy. This was not God. This was not God's original design. Sin corrupted and twisted, and the enemy kills and destroys. The philosophers and the politicians debate the cause and the cure, but the Bible is clear. The theologians are right. The disease ultimately is sin. Now, it manifests itself in a variety of ways, but it has the same root. And the Bible says that everyone has sin and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a universal condition everyone here was born into sin. We can spend time looking at how this has manifested itself historically and globally through the unimaginable cruelty and atrocities. However, I want to crank down the microscope and see how sin surfaces in our society, in our lives. Winnipeg is on track this year to break the homicide record. There have already been 27. We still have four months to go. The record number of homicides in our city is 41. That was set in 2011. In 2017, the police police reported 660 homicides in our country, in Canada. We cannot stop killing each other To add a little perspective, Baltimore, Maryland is roughly the same population of Winnipeg, and they had 342 murders last year in one city. Mass shootings are regular, regularly occurring in the one world superpower. Isn't it heartbreaking that we become desensitized The people being murdered. We flip through our news feeds, and it's another week, another shooting, and we shrug our shoulders at the loss of human life. Mass shootings are regular occurrences in the most advanced society in history. Technology isn't the solution for sin. Education isn't the solution for sin. We live in the most technological, educated society in the history of humanity, and yet hatred is rampant. Racism is systemic. Not over there, in here. Wasn't that long ago that our city was named one of the most racist places in the country. And before you get defensive and start justifying, be open to the possibility that it's true. And it's true in my heart. As we look closer to home, a remote Manitoba First Nation declared a state of emergency in 2016 after six suicides happened in two months and 140 attempts in two weeks. Officials from Cross Lake said health workers on the Northern Reserve could no longer cope. This was three years ago. The community of 8,300 souls is traumatized. I've had a lot of people talk about my beliefs on kind of what's happening south of the border. And a lot of people have some strong opinions about the politics and the policies. How about we look in our own backyard? How about we look in the mirror and we have third world conditions in our province. There's an epidemic of suicide in the Northern communities in our province. There is a meth crisis and they're using that word in our city. This is not Africa. This is not someplace in South America. This is Winnipeg, this is Manitoba. The symptoms of sin are severe in our society. One member of the local meth task force said this, there's no end in sight. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. What's needed is leadership, and what's needed is a community that says, enough of this. This is happening in our city, in the social networks that affect people that are sitting in this room right now, the symptoms of sin, and technology isn't the answer, and Politics isn't the answer, and education isn't the answer. When you peel back the layers, there is one solution, and it is provided by God through his son, Jesus Christ. There is one cure, and it is Christ. And yet, we focus on these other things and place our faith in a politician. The conservative party, they're going to bring us back to where we were. These policies that they're going to implement is going to lead to a more Christian culture. Education, if we could just educate people about the problem, that would solve it. And we're deluded. And it ends in disillusionment. If you want to see the symptoms of sin up close, Take a ride with a paramedic. There's Thomas. This brother takes journals of all, he's a paramedic. And if you want, if you, if you want proof that the enemy is alive and well of demonic activity in our city, then go ride an ambulance one night. And you'll see things similar to what you read in the Bible. People that have lost all sense of self control, people that have or in bondage to a foreign substance, the abuse and the hatred and the darkness, right with the police officer. Where's Bruce Day? Go ride right with the police officer for a day. You step out of the bubble and you realize there is brokenness all around us. And if we were honest, we'd look in the mirror and say, there is brokenness within us. We weren't created to live like this. There is turmoil in our souls. There is chaos in our hearts. There is unrest in our spirits. When we look at ourselves and others through the spectacles of scripture, we see that our deepest need is spiritual healing. Our ultimate need is salvation. So we have to get first things first. And that's the ultimate question that I'm asking us today. Are you salvation? saved. Now I know that there is a lot going on on the surface and I'm not trying to belittle that or dismiss that. All I'm saying is according to Jesus, that is secondary. First things first is your soul, not your body, not your bank account, not your relationships. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of these other things will be handled in accordance with his will. The symptoms of sinfulness in our society are obvious, and so is the cure. We go back to this Bible passage here. Jesus did not misspeak. This is outrageous. I read right over that, and no one even reacted to it. When Jesus looked at this brother and said, your sins are forgiven, The original crowd did something like this. (gasps) Shock. This is an outrageous statement for a human being to make, especially in the culture that Christ was preaching and teaching and living in. This was blatant blasphemy. It was. And you know what the book of Leviticus prescribes for blasphemy? the death sentence, a brutal death. But he said it anyway. Jesus never misspoke. He always said what he wanted to say, when he wanted to say it, and how he wanted to say it. Jesus is revealing his true identity here as God in the flesh. If If Jesus isn't divine, then he is committing blasphemy, and deserves death. That's the thing. These religious leaders that are shocked, Jesus is teaching and they show up to investigate who this guy is. They should have been shocked because they were right. Before you throw them under the bus, they are being biblical. And they had an opportunity to embrace the new thing that God was doing, the new covenant that was being initiated through Jesus Christ and let go, let go of the former things. It was a crossroads that these leaders came to and they chose to keep a white knuckle grip on the former things and not embrace God's son. Some, one version put it this way That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? And of course, they're thinking this, and Jesus hears their thoughts. And he hears mine. And he hears yours. In the time of Jesus, how did forgiveness happen? I hope this will be instructive and helpful for you. Because when Jesus looked at this brother and said, Your sins are forgiven. Why was everyone shocked? Because God had created a system that led to forgiveness. How, did, how were sins dealt with in the first century? How were sins dealt with? And so in order for us to truly appreciate what Jesus said and who Jesus was and what he ultimately accomplished, I think it's helpful for us to know the context. How... Did forgiveness happen in the time of Christ? One word, sacrifice. People would take a sacrifice to the temple to atone for their sins. After the sacrifice, the priest would say to the person, to the worshiper, your sins are forgiven. They would vicariously transfer their guilt onto the animal substitute and their guilt was alleviated. Their Sin was atoned for, and you could even, there were specific things, right? So when you know that you messed up, you know that you crossed the line, well, got to go to the temple and you, whatever prescribed sacrifice for that specific sin, you would take it, go through the rituals, hand the priest at the temple, your animal substitute. And then, and the priest would, the priest would absolve you. Your sins are forgiven and they'd walk away until next time. I don't know about you, but if that system were still in place, I'd be on a first name basis with the parking attendant. Hey John, it's your third time today, brother. This was a, it's so foreign to us, but it's so necessary to understanding the unfolding plan of God for our redemption. Cause you come to church holding a Starbucks, a latte. You're not holding an animal. And I'm up here in a suit with the Bible. I'm not splattered with blood. Even the smell. This was a multi-century worship experience. You could hear the sounds of the animals. You could smell the animals. You could see in the animal's eyes before you handed it over to be killed and its blood sprinkled upon the altar. This was a very graphic, multi-sensory experience. An animal is killed, and the blood is sprinkled. The priest is wearing a white robe that is splattered in the blood of the sacrifices. The temple was the meeting place of heaven and earth. God's address. The priests were God's representatives on earth. And so in order to connect with the Almighty, you had to go through the intermediary. You go to the right place and you talk to the right person. But here's the gospel. And this is what makes Jesus' statement so significant because we know the end of the story. We know what happened after he said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is now the meeting place of heaven and earth. Jesus is now the final and ultimate sacrifice. So in Hebrews chapter nine, but now he, Jesus has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Chapter 10, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we don't come to a place and we don't talk to a person to get our sins absolved. You have access to God through the gospel. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished. The curtain that separated the most holy place from humanity was ripped from the top down. And now every sinner has access to the holy of holies. Jesus saw the faith in the hearts of this group. And he also saw the lack of faith in the hearts of others. Do you notice this in this passage? Before those guys ever said a word, it said Jesus saw their faith. And the other group that was there, they didn't say a word, but Jesus saw their doubt. Why are you thinking evil things where in your heart man looks at out the outward appearance? We could do a good job of fooling most people, but God looks at the heart. That's what ultimately matters to him. You see, the gospel isn't about behavior modification. The gospel is about God captivating our affections and our behavior will follow our affections. We get it the other way, right? This is legalism, where we think our affections will eventually catch up to our behavior and our beliefs. And that's not the way God designed us. God designed us, created in his image, to receive a new heart. The very center and core of who we are. When God takes out your old heart, God takes out your corrupted heart. God takes out your tainted heart. He takes out your dead heart and he gives you a new heart. He gives you a clean heart. He gives you a beating heart. That's life, not physical. No, physical is temporary. That's spiritual life. Mark tells the story and adds a few more details. Matthew gives us the condensed version of the story. Just the theology, please. Mark says this. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized that they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they went up on top. Listen to this. They went up on top of the house and they tore away the roof above Jesus. And when they had broken through They lowered the paralyzed man on a stretcher in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, my son, your sins are now forgiven. So Mark and Luke round out the story of what was actually taking place as Jesus was preaching this sermon and delivering this truth. Can you imagine for a moment, right now, somebody with a jackhammer in the middle of my sermon there's all kind of junk falling on you right here. It's raining down and we're getting flustered and frustrated. We're looking for the property to staff. Who's scheduled part of the renovations on a Sunday morning? Come on. Dirt and leaves are falling around the room. Jesus' sermon was rudely interrupted and all eyes were focused on the light in the roof. That was a moment where he had everybody's attention. So he said what ultimately mattered first, right out of the gate. He had him right here in the palm of his hand. What's going on? (laughs) But it's interesting to me too, especially in... In this culture, where we like to have everything orderly. And if someone interrupts our order, we become frustrated or even angry. Come on now. How many of y'all would be upset if somebody had a pickaxe on the roof? (laughs) Right now, in the middle of a sermon. Are you kidding me? The word of God is being preached. Couldn't it happen on a Saturday night or a Monday morning? No, it's exactly where it was supposed to happen. And listen to this. Jesus didn't rebuke them for destroying property. you imagine the homeowner? I I thought I was having a pastor over for some fried chicken. All of a sudden there's property damage now. Jesus didn't rebuke them for destroying property. He didn't reprimand them for not waiting their turn. He didn't scold them for interrupting his sermon. On the contrary, Jesus endorsed their behavior. Come on now. When's the last time God interrupted your order? And rather than getting mad and saying, oh, I can't believe they did that, or I can't believe this happened, the miracle is in the interruption. What if? What if Jesus had finished his sermon? All would have went well. We would have never known probably what he preached on. But because those brothers were on the roof with a jackhammer, now we know the miracle—the real miracle of salvation. And so, some of us need to get over ourselves, right? You like everything predictable. You like everything nice and orderly. And if someone says something out of turn, even in worship, or someone does something that we're not comfortable with, we immediately, on the inside, remember, in our hearts, we judge them and we rebuke them. And Jesus is saying to many of us, why are you thinking these evil things in your heart? There are times, there are times when God uses the jackhammer to get our attention, and to do something supernatural. Their response to Jesus was a mix of fascination and fear. I love this. The theme is authority, but the theme also is wonder. Wonder. You see, many of us, myself included, we've gotten over our salvation, so we're looking for the next spiritual adrenaline rush through worship. The cross isn't enough anymore, right? So we, we stand at the foot of the cross and there's God in the flesh, suffocating, bleeding. And we say, what else you got? We stand in front of the empty tomb and God has just purchased our soul for eternity with the blood of his son. And we look at him and say, anything else? Any other optional accessories to this thing called Christianity? We become bored with the ultimate miracle of regeneration. We're over it. So God, can you, uh, you know, send the little pyrotechnics? I'd appreciate it. The awe of forgiveness. When I looked up awe, the definition is this. An overwhelming feeling of reverence and fear produced by that which is extremely powerful. There's nothing more powerful than God. So every Sunday as we gather for worship, there should, there should be this, this fascination and fear. It's this, it's this mix of fear and wonder of who God is and what he's capable of and what he's done already. How has God demonstrated his power? God demonstrated it by dying and rising again. That's beautiful. On our behalf, that's how God demonstrated his ultimate power. Science and medicine and technology are poor substitutes for faith These things deconstruct and demystify faith, and we are left with this. Many of us, we're left with a hollow prosperity and an empty success because we have misplaced faith. And so the challenge today is this. Some of you, some of you need to do some digging you're apathetic, you're disillusioned, you've given up. And so you're, there's Jesus and you're sitting a hundred yards away from healing. You're sitting a hundred yards away from salvation. Some of you need to climb up on the roof and with your bare hands start digging through. Wood and dirt and metal. You see that desperation that drove these guys? That's what Jesus saw. And that's what he approved of when Jesus saw their faith. And some of us need some help. Come on now. Like when when you're paralyzed, you can't move. The brother needed some people to rally around him and they did. They picked him up and they went the second mile. They carried him up on the roof. So some of us maybe that are a little more healthier, how about, how about we take the arm of a brother or sister this morning and we scoop, we, we just, we just kind of stoop down under that weight and say, I'll, I'll carry you for a little while, brother. You know what? I'll bear that weight for a little while. And we take them to Jesus, right? Because we know I can't, I'm a pastor, y'all. I'm just as broken as you. So my job, my job description is these guys, right? I can't heal you. I don't have magic hands. I can't. Solve your problems. Well, you know what I can do? It's a privilege to be the delivery person where I carry your problems into the presence of the king. I carry your heartache into the presence of the king. And I say to you, as your pastor, I can walk with you for a little while. I can carry you up that ladder and I can help you get to the ultimate source of hope and the ultimate source of healing. Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. If you are sick, if you are physically sick, I cannot promise you that Jesus will heal your sickness. However, if you are a sinner, I can promise you that Jesus will save you. And what ultimately matters, y'all, listen, what ultimately matters, our physical lives are a tick on the clock of eternity. We are a vapor that appears and then is no more. But our souls will live forever. All physical healings are temporary. And so my challenge to us in these next few moments is this. My challenge for all of us is that we would run after the remedy in the same way we would run after a cure for cancer. What if I were to tell y'all this morning that I have the cure down front for cancer? You wouldn't even wait for the invitation, would you? Praise God. You would jump up on your feet at this physical healing. Praise God. You call your friends and your family and say, you gotta come get a dose of this. They've discovered the cure for cancer. But I'm telling you today theologically that we have the cure for sin that leads to eternal life. Are we excited? What else you got for me, God? You got any pyrotechnics? You got any miracles? You got any visions or angels you can send? God shakes his head and said, I sent my son. Is that not enough? The cross is the cure. The resurrection is the remedy. And so for us today, The Bible says to approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So follow in the sandals of these brothers and find your way to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cure which is the cross. Thank you for the remedy, which is the resurrection. Thank you for your word that is so clear. Help us to put on the spectacles of scripture and see ourselves through that lens of our brokenness and sinfulness and the remedy that you've provided. We're not left to flounder in lostness. We're not left to sink in judgment and darkness. Oh God, you have rescued us through Jesus Christ. And so I pray today we would run towards the remedy. God, we would embrace it. Deep down, we'd find ultimate healing through salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.